History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spectacular people welcome to history goes bump redux i am your host diane and this is kelly kelly do you believe in fairies i do think i believe in fey folk yes i do too i always have ever <laughs> since i was a kid i've always been fascinated by him and who doesn't love tinkerbell this is true well that's what we're going to be talking about on this redux the legend of the fairies are you ready to go back i'm ready A belief in fairies has existed for centuries and stretches all around the world. Early stories of fairies originate in medieval Western Europe, and this is where we get the term fairy tales. The roots of the oldest tale of fairy creatures comes from a folktale named The Smith and the Devil. Some fairy tales are thought to be up to 6,000 years old. Stories of fairies traveled with the colonists to America and are still strong in Appalachian and Ozark lore. There are many theories as to what fairies may be, and because of this, they take many forms in folklore. And while most people believe that fairies are not real, the belief in these creatures is very real. And there are tales that go beyond superstition and leave open the possibility that fairies may just exist. Join us as we explore the folklore about these fascinating beings and examine some of the tales that are told about them. to appearances, most of us grew up with the image of a cute little winged pixie that was little more than a human butterfly. Ask someone what a fairy looks like and they most likely will describe Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. But fairies come in a variety of forms and are generally much larger than the six-inch image most of us have. The smallest fairies are described as little more than balls of light, similar to fireflies. But these orbs of light can be as large as two to three inches in diameter. They are referred to as will-of-the-wisps many times. Then there are the, I guess what I would say your favorite kind, Kelly, gnome-sized fairies, equated with little people that run between two and three feet tall, and they like to wear the color red and green. Human-sized fairies are not as common and usually appear more shadowy and somber colors, occasionally wearing cloaks. All sizes have been described as winged, but fairies do not necessarily all have wings. They have fair skin, which can come in a variety of pastel coloring. All fairies are thought to be magical creatures. 
There are many theories as to the origins of fairies. There are beliefs that they have descended from the ancient race of elves, and so they have a similar look, but with the upgrade of being able to fly. Elementals are spirit creatures of air, water, fire, and earth, and there are some that believe that fairies are really elementals. It's important to note that some spiritual practices see elementals as branching out into pixies, sprites, devas, elves, brownies, leprechauns, gnomes, merfolk, kelpies, hobgoblins, and fairies. Even more interesting is that there are those who classify fairies as these individual creatures, making fairies the top classification. So pixies are really a race of fairies, as are leprechauns and so on. Perhaps because of the wings, fairies are thought to be a type of angel. Early Christian beliefs held that if someone died without being baptized, that they would then become a fairy creature. It was taught that the fallen angels that went with Lucifer became fairies when God stopped them in mid-flight on their way to hell. They were told to stay right where they were, which is why some are in the air, some are in the water, and some are in the earth. These accounts are found in Irish, Scottish, and Scandinavian folklore. Others think that they are souls caught between heaven and hell in some kind of limbo. And still other tales claim that fairies are the offspring of demons and angels coming together. These beliefs in early Christianity were adapted from pagan beliefs, which is where fairies have their true origins. All branches of the Celtic families adopted stories of fairies, and those beliefs spread to the British Isles and on to France and Germany. The Welsh had a matriarchal society, and they called fairies the mothers, coming down from the mother goddess they worshipped. Fairies in their lore were always depicted as females living in fairyland, which was also known as the land of women. An interesting incorporation of fairies in the pagan pentagram makes fairies seem to be a spirit-type elemental. The five points of the pentagram are air, water, fire, earth, and spirit, with fairies being the spirit incarnate. One of the reasons why it's rare to see a fairy is because of this spirit nature, and the idea that they live in a different world, or what we might term in our modern language, a different dimension. This dimension is sometimes referred to as the land of Tirnanog, which is the land of eternal youth. The veil between these worlds seems to be thinner at twilight, and this is when these creatures are most likely to be seen. If a human tries to pass into Tirnanog and actually accomplishes this feat, they will never return, at least not alive. Yikes, Kelly. If we see a little sign that says Tirnanog this way, don't go that way. Make a quick Yui. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As we covered on our episode about Icelandic folklore, Icelanders are superstitious about elf rocks where they believe elves live. These rocks are not to be moved. Other countries have similar beliefs about fairy domiciles, which makes sense when considering that elves and fairies may be one and the same. The Irish have burial mounds they call she, which means fairy mound, because they believe fairies live in these mounds. Hundreds of these still dot the Irish landscape, so the Irish believe that fairies are connected to the deadlands and that they can go back and forth from earth to heaven to the underworld. This is interesting when thinking of fairies as spirit beings. At Samhain, fairies leave their fairy hills, according to Irish lore. The purpose of fairies really depends on the fairy. Some are mischievous imps, like you, Kelly. Imps are little. I'm taller than you. If anybody's an imp, it's you. Okay, well, mischievous <laughs> definitely goes with you. Well, yes, that I will own. They will lead travelers astray in the woods, while others are helpful and bring food for those lost in the woods. If you awaken with tangled hair... Those could be elf locks that a fairy has twisted into your hair as you slept. 
They occasionally helped themselves to small items. Consumption was blamed on fairies in some places, as it was thought that they were keeping these people awake all night, mostly dancing and such, and the lack of sleep was wasting them away. Most fairies were thought to be hard workers, but shy and diminutive in stature. It is thought they raised animals to be of smaller stature as well. Brownies, for example, were welcome around farms and the house because they were happy to help with chores. There is historical evidence of little people races in Europe and the British Isles, which could be what spawns stories of fairies. There is a sinister side to fairies, though, that involves changelings. Many of you have probably heard of changelings. These are fairy babies that have been substituted for human babies. You may not know, however, why fairies exchange babies. Female fairies have great difficulty in carrying babies and even more difficulty giving birth. If they manage to carry a baby to full term, it is generally deformed in some way. There is actually a genetic reason for this because fairy races are small in number, and so inbreeding is common. They bring these sickly and deformed fairy babies into the human world and exchange them for a healthy human baby. They are then taught the fairy ways and strengthen the bloodlines. Adult humans can be exchanged with the changeling too. It is rare, but it has happened according to lore. These humans are trapped with fairy magic for a length of time to help them forget their former lives. They then are used to produce healthy fairy babies. So this is what the ETs are. (laughs) <laughs> when they come visiting in the UFOs. They're actually fairies. The changeling left behind usually gives itself away because of its ill-tempered nature. There are things that humans can use to keep fairies away. Fairies do not like iron, particularly if it is cold iron that has yet to be heated for shaping. Steel is an alloy of iron and is said to weaken fairies, although it is not toxic to them like iron. Charms made from salt, herbs like rosemary, St. John's wort, dill, grave soil, and rowan wood weakens fairies. Planting a rowan tree near the door works best. Newfoundland folklore claims that bread can keep the beings away. Holy water can make them ill. And if you know the fairy's real name, you have power over them, which is similar to a belief that knowing a demon's name gives one power over them. Horseshoes are not just a symbol of good luck. They apparently are a fairy deterrent, particularly if made from iron. A row of iron nails would be hammered into the headboard of a bed where a new mother would lie down with her baby. And Scotland held the belief that if the father's pants were hung at the foot of the bed, it would frighten the fairies. Wrapping the baby in the father's shirt would have the same effect. And remember that a fairy is like a vampire in that it cannot enter your home without being invited. So just be like Kelly and I, the wonderful introverts that we are. Just don't invite anyone into your home. (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell you guys a funny story. So we were down at Disney Springs today and they have some new stuff that they've put out celebrating Disney being 100 years old as a company. And one of the cartoons that they are really celebrating right now is the skeleton dance, which I know a lot of our listeners love. A lot of you executive producers probably love it like we do. And they had this ice bucket that was designed with a skeleton on the front kind of doing a dance. And we're like, oh, this is so great. And Kelly's like, well, it's got a brass top, though, and I don't like that. And then what did you say about the ice bucket? And what would we ever use it for? (laughs) I was like, you're right. We never have any parties at our house. I could put one of my orchids in it. You could. You could. (laughs) In Thailand, they have fairy-like creatures that they call Nari Pan. They are said to be a combination of plant and animal. 
They stand less than three feet tall and have female bodies with a camouflage coloring to their skin. Locals sometimes refer to them as the Thai flower pod women. In Buddhist folklore, the Nari Pan come to Buddha as he meditates and they distract him. This happens mostly during the day, as they hide in the trees at night. The legends also describe the Nari Pan as fruit on trees that become alive after falling from the tree and live for a week. After the week is over, their bodies wither into little carcasses that can be held in the hand. A temple outside of Bangkok has a couple of them on display. They have unusually long arms and a plant-like structure on their heads. Sci-Fi's Destination Truth went out in search of them on an episode but did not find any. One of the events that caused many to lose faith in fairies were the hoax photos that came out in the early 1900s, known as the fairies of Cottingley Glen. There were five photographs in the collection that were captured by two cousins named Francis Griffiths and Elsie Wright. The girls appeared in the photos with these tiny human-like creatures who had period-style haircuts, wore flowing gowns, and had large wings on their backs. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle believed in the authenticity of the pictures wholeheartedly. He published two of them with a piece he wrote for The Strand in 1920. He then authored a book about the Cottonley Fairies and his belief in them named The Coming of the Fairies. City News wrote of the story in 1921, It seems at this point that we must either believe in the almost incredible mystery of the fairy or in the almost incredible wonders of faked photographs. Now, we have referred to these photos as a hoax, but Harold Snelling, who was a fellow spiritualist and also an expert on photographic retouching, said, These dancing figures are not made of paper nor any fabric. They are not painted on a photographic background. But what gets me most is that all these figures have moved during the exposure. Snelling reprinted and retouched the negatives to get crisper images. Those images looked even more real than the originals. He and Doyle agreed that the girls were too young to pull off such a hoax. The two girls grew into women, and they were hounded several times in their adult lives to tell the truth. They were always very evasive with their answers until they were older women in their 70s and 80s. They professed that the fairies in the photographs were actually drawings Elsie had made, cut out, and set in place with hat pins. They traced them from Princess Mary's gift book and placed cardboard behind them that was fastened with zinc oxide bandage tape. Francis wrote in 1983, I'm fed up with all these stories. I hated those photographs and cringe every time I see them. I thought it was a joke, but everyone else kept it going. It should have died a natural death 60 years ago. What is fascinating about this story is that although the women admitted the pictures were a hoax, they maintained that they really saw fairies and interacted with them. And this they both maintained until their deaths. To me, it was amazing they were able to pull this off as a couple of kids just making stuff that, because they do look pretty darn real when you're looking at it. And then the fact that they're like, no, that was baloney, but we did play with fairies. That's where we got the idea. And they maintain that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
In the 1980s, Ronnie Bennett, a forester in Cottonley Woods, came forward with a fairy encounter he had while working there. When they showed themselves about nine years ago, there was a slight drizzle around. I saw three fairies in the woods, and I've never seen them since. They were just about 10 inches tall and just stared at me. There's no way that Cottonley Fairies is a hoax. William Blake was a poet and an artist and apparently a believer in fairies. It is said that he had the following conversation with a woman. Did you ever see a fairy's funeral, madame? Said Blake to a lady who happened to sit next to him. Never, sir, said the lady. I have, said Blake, but not before last night. And he went on to tell how, in his garden, he had seen a procession of creatures of the size and color of green and gray grasshoppers, bearing a body laid out on a rose leaf, which they buried with songs and then disappeared. The fairy flag of Dunvegan Castle is a very interesting story. Dunvegan Castle on the Isle of Skye is the ancestral home of the MacLeod clan. The family came into possession of the flag when the fae wrapped the infant MacLeod in it when he was at the point of death. The family was told that they could wave the flag two more times when they were in distress and the fae would come to help. The second time it was waved was at a battle in Waternish in 1520, and it was used to rally MacLeod's men. The flag was later cut into small pieces and carried by the MacLeod warriors during World War II. The soldiers believed the flag would give them magical protection. Those who carried a piece of the flag were said to have come home alive. That's very cool if that's true. What is left of the fairy flag is preserved under glass on a wall at Dunvegan Castle. There's still one more wave of the flag left. Wonder when they will use it. William Butterfield was keeper of Ilkley Wells in West Yorkshire, England, and he claimed to have a fairy encounter in 1815. As he drew near the wells, he took out of his pocket the massive iron key and placed it in the lock, but there was something canny about it. And instead of the key lifting the lever... It only turned around and around in the lock. He drew the key back to see if it was all right and declared it was the same that he had on the previous night hung up behind his own door down at home. Then he endeavored to push the door open and no sooner did he push it slightly ajar than it was quickly pushed back again. At last, with one supreme effort, he forced it perfectly open and back it flew with a great bang. Then whir, 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 such a noise and sight. All over the water and dipping into it was a lot of little creatures, all dressed in green from head to foot, none of them more than 18 inches high and making a chatter and jabber thoroughly unintelligible. They seemed to be taking a bath, only they bathed with all their clothes on. Soon, however, one or two of them began to make off, bounding over the walls like squirrels. Finding they were all making ready for decamping and wanting to have a word with them, he shouted at the top of his voice. Indeed, he declared afterwards, he couldn't find anything else to say or do. Hello there. Then away the whole tribe went, helter-skelter, toppling and tumbling, head over heels, heels over heads, and all the while making a noise not unlike a disturbed nest of young partridges. The sight was so unusual that he declared he either couldn't or daren't attempt to rush after them. He stood as still and confounded, he said, as old Jeremiah Lister down there at Wheatley did, half a century previous, when a witch from Ilkley put an ash riddle upon the side of River Wharf and sailed across in it to where he was standing. Jane Board wrote, Fairies, Real Encounters with Little People. She reported that in 1968, contractors in Donegal would not cut down a gnarled tree that stood in the way of a new road they were building because it was believed that the tree was a fairy tree. One of the contractors said, There's something uncanny about it. The roots are not more than a couple of feet below ground. 
yet it defied a hurricane seven years ago. There are multiple stories of people getting sick after cutting ferry thorns and putting up buildings across ferry paths. People living in homes blocking a ferry path would open their windows at night so that the ferries could pass through and then the occupants would not become ill. A girl became lost in 1935 on Lizard, which was a ferry fort in County Mayo. There was a gap to the outer bank that she should have been able to pass through, but some kind of external force kept her from passing. This force turned her round so that she was walking back into the fort. She tried again and again, but it was as if there was an invisible wall and it felt hostile to her. Later, the barrier disappeared and she was able to leave. Board also writes of an impossible tiny shoe found in Ireland and a large group of tiny people seen playing in a fairy bog in Wales. A Somerset farmer's wife claimed in 1962 that she had lost her way at Berkshire Downs and was put on the right track by a small man in green who appeared out of nowhere and then disappeared after pointing her in the right direction. A woman in Cornwall also claimed to see a small green man with a pointed hood and pointed ears as she was making her way to the ferry. Her daughter saw the same creature and they made a mad dash for the ferry, totally terrified. Danica wrote, I do believe in fairies. My daughters and I rented a trailer in El Cajon, California in 2010. One morning we were all eating breakfast in the kitchen and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a fairy floating in the air. It was a female about three feet in height, sprinkling gold dust all around her. At the same time, my oldest daughter said, Mommy, Mommy, there's a fairy sprinkling gold dust everywhere over by the window. My daughters and I also experienced some other unexplained phenomenon in that trailer. It was getting a little too scary for us. We only stayed living in the trailer for 10 days and moved out as quickly as we could. I think my daughters and I somehow attracted the unexplained, paranormal, whatever you want to call it, because we've encountered several more experiences with the paranormal that were scary. Thankfully, it has been almost a year that we have not encountered anything. We've seen things that no one would believe. Prayer and faith have kept us safe. So then over on Reddit, somebody had asked the question, has anybody seen fairies? Lizeth wrote, yes, I have. I've been looking for blogs to see if others have seen one too. I was about 28 years old. I lived in North Carolina. I was walking my two dogs, when all of a sudden, I saw what looked like frog's legs flying, about the size of a hamster. (laughs) That's weird. I tried really hard to make out its body and realized this being looked like nothing I could identify. Both my hands were occupied, so all I could do was stare. My phone was back inside the apartment. I followed it until I got to my apartment. It had big wings that flapped too fast to really see or make them out. Its body was slender, narrow long legs had a grayish tint to its beige skin. I only saw it from behind, couldn't see the front. I've been in denial of this incident, but hope someone out there has also seen one. Pretty weird stuff. Indeed. Bridie Morgan shared her experience with Celtic Atlantic Tales in 2021. She was 79 years old and lived in Ireland, and she and her sister used to like to play off in the nearby forests as children. On one particular day, they wanted to build a playhouse but they were a bit frightened, so they brought rosary beads with them when they went out into the forest. When they went to leave, they couldn't find the beads anywhere, and they always believed fairies had taken them because it was understood that fairies were in that forest. They would often see fairy lights, especially from the road, and there was a hill where they would see the lights, and Bridie said people had been killed on the hill. When the interviewer asked if she was saying that fairies had killed people on the hill, Bridie said she didn't know for sure, but that was what people in the area believed. She was a really sweet, cute little thing telling these stories. I could hardly understand her because she had a very thick accent. 
But uh, you could tell this lady grew up with all kinds of fairy tales there in Ireland. Celtic Atlantic Tales also interviewed Irish storyteller Eddie Lenahan, who wrote Meeting the Other Crowd, the fairy stories of hidden Ireland. And he said that if people interfered with fairy forts, paths, or bushes, that consequences were severe with either their failing health or that of a family member. Ireland's fairy forts are known as ring forts and are remnants from the Iron Age. Local tradition claims that fairies make themselves homes in them. This folk belief dates to the 12th century. This is why so many ring forts are allowed to stand and get overgrown. So Eddie tells the story of a man who lived in a nearby fairy fort with his three daughters despite warnings from neighbors. This was something one just didn't do. It was compared to living in a children's burial ground. The three daughters became ill. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong and they were all taken to the hospital. Then, very seriously, Eddie said that two of the girls died laughing and the other died crying. The friar paid the father a visit and he said that he would have to accept the consequences for living where he did because this was interfering with fairies. Eddie found it fascinating that a man of the cloth actually gave some credence to the legends about fairy places like forts. Eddie also said that if someone built a house over a fairy path, they would have no peace. So yeah, earlier we mentioned that if you opened the windows and you had built on a fairy path, that that would kind of alleviate any issues you might get for interfering with the fairies because they could pass on through. But Eddie didn't have that same belief. He was like, you did not build on a fairy path. And I guess they had a way to test it where they would put these sticks up, I guess, wherever the borders of the house would be. And if you would go back after a couple days and any of those sticks looked like it had been moved or pushed over or anything like that, that was a fairy path and you couldn't build there. It reminds me a lot of in Iceland, if they've got an elf rock sitting somewhere, they will build around it or whatever. They will not move it and they won't destroy it in any way. So these superstitions they have, they run deep. Sure do. Atlas Obscura had written an article about fairy forts, dens, and glens, and they reference the Balyabin Ring Fort, which historians claim has been preserved for its historical value, but fairy believers claim that a puka guards the place. Pukas are malevolent fairies that take the shape of animals. Ireland has a fairy glen at Knocknaree Mountain in Sligo, and an unexcavated passage tomb at its base is said to hold the burial of Queen Maeve, who is sometimes equated to Queen Mab of the fairies. The Glen Brittle Forest on the Isle of Skye is said to be home to fairy pools, and behind a church in Dunano, Scotland, is Dunano Den, with links to ancient pagan worship and possible human sacrifice with stories about fairies living there. Visitors leave offerings of booze, cigarettes, coins, and ribbons, and have decorated with graffiti. Did fairies actually exist? Is it possible that they still exist today? Most of the former Celtic nations of Brittany, Germany, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland have people who believe that fairies still exist. There is a theory that they are rarely seen because they are a dying breed. Still, others reason that the creatures are disappearing because we fail to believe in them. Do you believe in fairies? That is for you to decide. But I guess, Kelly, if we want fairies to stick around, you better just go ahead and believe in them. This is true. And we could use some fairies about now. This world could really, as long as they're not malevolent. No kidding. Well, I don't know what I would do if I ever actually saw a fairy. Just as long as they don't bite my finger, I guess it'd be okay. (laughs) Or my toes. (laughs) Or anything, really. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this Redux. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.